I love the church. I love, love the church. I think of how I love the church for a theological reason. Jesus loved the church, and because Jesus loved the church, I should love what Jesus loves, so I should love the church. But can I tell you, it goes much deeper than just saying, oh, that's, that's uh, theological stuff. Can I tell you, I love the church because of the personal impact that the church has made upon my family through generations. See, my mom and dad, my mom especially, was not raised in church. She did not go to church as a child. But someone in South, South City area, right here in St. Louis, saw that she didn't go to church, and so began to bring her to church. Then my parents moved to the South County, Lima area, and she wanted to go to church. And she uh, began to, to say, hey, you know, to her dad, my grandpa, Let, I, I want to go to church. Well, he said, I just can't drop you off at a church. I don't know anybody. So he went with her. And as he went with her, as a young girl, she came to know Jesus, and then my grandparents came to know Jesus. I love the church because there were people who faithfully shared the message of Jesus with my mom. My mom and dad got married. My dad was religious growing up, did religious things, and went to church some. He was in his early 20s. He had actually, my mom was, the, was a pianist at a, at a new mission church, and my dad was actually in his early 20s uh, kind of filling in to, to lead music. Obviously, on a church plant, you know, you end up doing a lot of different things, and somehow he ended up leading music. And as a young man in his 20s, while he was leading music, he realized this Jesus that they're talking about, that I'm singing about, that they're singing about, I don't have him in my life. And he came to know Jesus as his Savior. Then as my three older sisters came into the world, and then me, and then my three younger brothers came into the world, we had loving care in the nursery and the, through the primaries. And I still remember the joy of flannel graph. Man, that stuff was awesome. That was, that was wonderful stuff. And I can remember... I, I, remembered, uh, I, I remember the story of the four friends who, who lowered uh, the, the man who was paralyzed on a mat to, to Jesus. And I remember my teacher because she stuck up a little strings of yarn to, to picture the lowering of the mat. But isn't it funny how you remember things? But I came to know Jesus there. My sisters were saved. My younger brothers have been saved. The Lord began to work in our life and... I have a brother-in-law who was called into ministry, and then I was called into ministry, and then my brother was called into ministry. And so our whole life has, has been centered around the church. My dad is teaching a Bible study still this morning. My mom and dad are very active in, in their church. I'll have uh, a brother preaching this morning. I'll have all of my siblings somewhere in church active and serving. The church has personally changed our life. And that's my hope, not just for a family or for your family, but for families throughout this greater St. Charles and St. Louis area. 
And as we think about the church, it's about Jesus. The church is his. Colossians chapter 1. Let's take your Bibles this morning and turn with me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18 this morning. We worked down from verses 15 through 17 last week. We're going to be in verse number 18 uh, this Sunday, and we're going to stay here for one more Sunday. So we'll be camped on verse 18 one more week. It says this, and he, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. With that, let's pray. Lord, I I ask that you would uh, speak to us today. God, that you would just remind us that the church is not about our our preference, but about our praise. It's not about our, our, our decisions, but our submission to you. So, Lord Jesus, speak. Speak not only through me, but speak to me just fresh and new today. And speak, speak to our church family today. In your name, amen. In Colossians chapter 1, after the introduction and prayer, Paul begins to drive home who Jesus is. And in verse number 15, he says that he is the image of the invisible God, that he is his God in the flesh who stepped into humanity. He is the exact representation, but more than that, the manifestation of God in human form. Then he says that he is the firstborn over all creation, that he has the place of of preeminence and dignity, that he is above all and over all creation. And then it says that he is the creator and he is the sustainer, verse number 17, of all things. Then Paul flips and kind of moves and says, and church at Colossae, I want you to understand this, that Jesus is not only out there overall as the creator and sustainer of all things, but you know, you might be a small church in the city of Colossae right now, just getting going as Epaphras has, has, has worked hard to, to begin to build. But let me tell you this. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head. Now, as we think of this picture as Jesus as the head of the church, I want to drive home three thoughts as we think about Jesus as the head. That means he has all authority and all dignity over the church. That means that he should get all glory over the church. But I want us to think of this in terms of three, three pictures this morning. First off, as, as the head of the church, first off, Jesus is sovereign over his church. Notice what it says in, in verse number 18. It, it makes it very, very clear. He is the head of the church. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18, as, as Peter has just announced that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus takes that statement of saying, yes, I am the Christ, the son of the living God, and, and you are exactly right. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church upon this statement of faith that you have just made, that I am the rock. And let me tell you this, 
I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It is the picture that Jesus is building his church. Notice, he didn't say, I'm going to build a church. I'm not even going to build the church. But he said, I will build my church. He builds his church because he's the head of the church. He is the owner of the church. The church belongs to him. So we think about Jesus as the head of the church and his sovereignty. We think about Jesus and his sovereignty over the church. Now, we, we don't look at Jesus as the CEO over the church. All right, I mean, you see large corporations and businesses and, and they have a CEO and, and it's interesting today, you'll have some corporations that have a CEO, but they're owned by another corporation and all this kind of thing going on and things are, are, are who's the real authority? The picture is, is that Jesus is not the CEO over an organization. Jesus is the head over a living body a living organism. The church has aspects of an organization, but the church is a living organism. The church has a a body. The church has a head. The church has been given life so that we look and we say, look, this is not some guy sitting in an office telling people what to do and answering to a board of directors. This is the one who through his life has given us life. This is the one who through his death on the cross and the moving of the Holy Spirit has changed our life, transformed our life, given us his spirit. And now he stands as the one who says, when you come together corporately, it is about me and about what I desire and about my truth, not about your preference, not about what fits in with the culture. It's all about Jesus, Jesus and his sovereignty. Sometimes we make the mistake of saying things like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First Baptist Church of St. Charles. Yeah, that was David Shepherd's church. Or our Waypoint. Yeah, that's Bob Ingalls' church. Or we look down the road at uh, Bogey Hills and say, oh, yeah, Kobe Boyd's church. Listen, can I tell you? It, it's, the, the church doesn't belong to a pastor. We don't, we don't own the church. We are an under-shepherd under him as our shepherd, but this is not our church. Believe me, we can't handle it. When it comes to the church, Jesus is the head. Unrivaled, undisputed. We see his sovereignty, but then we see his primacy. Notice it says that he is the head of the church. And then it says this, who is the beginning? Who is the beginning? What does that have to do? It it reminds us this, that Jesus is the alpha and omega of all things, but Jesus is, is primary when it comes to the church. Jesus is the one who institutes the church. He is the one who receives all preeminence in the church. He is the one who has all authority of the church. So when it says that he is the beginning, that gives the picture that he has the church in his hand. He is the owner. He is the one who started it. And he is the one who will hold on to it throughout uh, our, our life. We're, we're not clinging on to Jesus as the church. And listen, we don't even have to fear the culture as the church because we are under his sovereign control and in his divine hand, and it is all about Jesus. We get the picture. He is the beginning. 
so that the church starts with Jesus, but the church continues through this formation of life and growth, and it's all about Jesus. Now, I, there, there are churches that have different styles and different methods. Can I tell you, the methods may change, but here's what's not to change. The message of the church is not to change. The sovereign Lord over all eternity has given his scripture as a a tool for believers individually. But understand this, that, that, that a bulk of the New Testament is written to local churches. And Paul, as he lays out these messages to local churches, says that Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus' message matters, his message. And then it's all about Jesus and him being not only the the message of our church, but the motivation of our church. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Jesus is sovereign over the church. But not only do we see as the head Jesus is sovereign over the church, but as the head, secondly, we see that Jesus is the savior of the church. Now notice what it says. It says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Oh, do you recognize that word firstborn that was used? Firstborn from the dead? And, and I said last week when we talked about this, this thought of firstborn, he's, he's not talking in chronological terms primarily when we come to thinking about the firstborn. Remember, Manasseh was born before Ephraim, and yet the Lord in Jeremiah 31 says that Ephraim is my firstborn. It's a place, it's a position, it's a place of dignity, it's a place of reverence, it's a place of honor, it's a place of responsibility. Now it says that Jesus is the firstborn. Now, what does that mean? He's the firstborn from the dead. Was Jesus the first person who died and came back? Can I tell you, he wasn't. Elijah, during his ministry, took the, the, the widow of Zarephath and raised his son to life. Elisha, during his ministry, took a Shunammite widow and raised her son to life. We find that Jesus, in his ministry, took the, the son from the widow at Nain and raised him to life. And Jairus' daughter raised her to life. And Lazarus, and and John chapter 11, how can we forget that? Lazarus, come forward. He was raised to life. Then we turn to the book of Acts, and we find that Peter takes a a woman whose name is Tabitha, and and called Dorcas, and, and raises her to life. And I love Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is just classic. Acts chapter 20, Jesus our, our Paul is, is preaching in Troas in verse number seven and following. And uh, he preaches late into the night. And there's a guy whose name is Eutychus. And he is obviously in this arid climate, probably sitting in the window. He's on the third level. And while Paul is preaching long into the night, he starts to get tired. And in Acts chapter 20, verses seven through 12, he falls asleep. And not only does he fall asleep, while Paul's preaching. It happens to the best of us, all right? Uh, We've all had that happen. But the dude falls out the window, falls three stories, and dies. And then Paul brings him back to life. 
I don't know what it was like for him to walk back upstairs into the church uh, meeting, but I imagine that that was kind of an embarrassing moment in his life. I mean, you're happy. He just raised me to life, but uh, now I got to look at all these people uh, in the face who I just fell asleep while the prolific writer Paul of the New Testament was uh, speaking to us. So anyway, uh, those people all were, were brought back to life. So what is it about Jesus. What is it about Jesus as, that, that has him mentioned as the firstborn from the dead in the context of the church? Why is that important? Well, it, without uh, a death and resurrection, we don't have a church. He's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus died for the church. He died for the church. You, you realize that, don't you? I mean, one of the, the passages that is often used at, at a wedding ceremony is in Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The picture is, is that Jesus died for the church. That Jesus sets the standard and example of how we are to love as husbands in our life. And he set that by dying for the church. But the picture is, is that Jesus' sacrificial love is the one and only reason that we can come together as a church. He died for the church. What does that mean? It means that each of us as individuals at some time in our life had thought something, said something, done something that disqualified us from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. And because of that, our penalty is, is that we're going to be separated from God, not only in life, but for all eternity. But Jesus, when he died, paid the penalty for our sin. He took the wrath and judgment of God upon him so that when we receive Jesus as our savior then our sins are moved over on Jesus account and his righteousness is put on ours and that we could come into a body of universal believers but primarily we could step into a church a local church where we're going to look people in the face, people who know Jesus, and they're going to walk with us and encourage us in our journey. And we're going to have one message, that the only reason we're here is not because we're good, but because Jesus saves. He died for the church. But notice, he is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus rose for the church. Notice Colossians 1.18. He's the firstborn from the dead. He, he is from. That's somewhere he was, and now he's from there. Where are you from? Many of us, we don't live where we were from. We are, we've landed somewhere else. And Jesus, he was in the grave, but now he is from the grave, from the dead. He is alive. Did you, did you hear the story this week? And I thought it was just absolutely crazy. I, I heard it on the radio, and then I had to go uh, find it on the news. KSDK Channel 5 uh, last week on Monday, you remember it was snowed crazy, and they were closing the grocery stores uh, early and all that kind of stuff. They interview this dude who's out like just a few minutes before 6, before 
uh, the grocery store closes and, and, you know, they're covering the news of saying now the Schnucks grocery stores, they're all closing early in the St. Louis area. And so this guy's walking in while, you know, they're telling everybody to go home. And, and they ask him, why are you out in this weather? And he said, my wife wanted some corn dogs. This is absolutely true. So he is going out in this blizzard condition because his wife wanted some corn dogs. And I think, that guy's more of a sacrificial love guy than I am, you know? I mean, first off, I don't ever remember my wife eating a corn dog. And neither would I encourage her or really anyone else to eat a corn dog. Maybe if you're at a fair or something. But I mean, if I'm going to send somebody to the grocery store, corn dog is not going to be on my list, you know? Uh, you know, maybe some ingredients for some chocolate chip cookies or something like that, but not a corn dog, you know, especially if you're going to be stuck in. But his wife wanted some corn dogs. So he sets this example of love, and he's driving out in this crazy weather last Monday to get his wife what she desired. Well, can I tell you, Jesus doesn't always give us what we desire, but he does give us what we need, and that is forgiveness, and that is salvation. And that is his presence in our life. And that is hope for all eternity. Jesus is the savior of the church. He died for the church. He rose for the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. He has all authority over death. Revelation 1.18 says that that, uh, I am alive and was dead and I am alive. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold or I have the keys of death and Hades. Picture is, is that Jesus conquered death. And now he has all authority over death. He shows his preeminence over death. And so he is the firstborn given the position over death because now he holds the keys of death in his hand. As the head, Jesus is sovereign over the church and Jesus is the savior of the church. But thirdly, we see this, that as the head, Jesus is the shepherd of the church. Jesus is the shepherd. Now notice this picture of the word head. It gives the picture of his leadership and guidance and direction, that he is the source of all that the church needs. And as we think of this picture of a head, we think in the New Testament and in the Old Testament of the leadership of a shepherd. And so I want us to kind of, we're going to jump off of this passage, but we're going to look at some other passages that show us Jesus as the shepherd, the leader, the guide, the director of all that is involved with the church. If you have your Bibles, turn back with me to John chapter 10 and verse number 11. John chapter 10. As Jesus, the, the head, he, he is the one who stands and, and leads and directs his church. You remember the, the pictures in the, the Old Testament and in passages like Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Just keep your finger in in, in John 10 just for a moment. But let's think about a shepherd just for a minute. Because often this is the picture that we get of a shepherd. That they're sitting in this serene, wonderful environment, plucking on a harp while the animals are just, 
you know, out there like a Norman Rockwell picture and everybody's good and life is, is gracious and, 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 and the, the pasture is green and everything is easy. Can I tell you, that's not an accurate picture of a shepherd. I mean, it makes for good art. It, it, it makes for a good picture. Can I tell you, a shepherd was a warrior. He was a protector. He was fanatical about his sheep. Do you remember when David was going to fight Goliath and what he told Saul? He said, dude, I've had to fight a lion and a bear. Now, this is not the picture of some uh, wimpy dude playing some stringed instrument over here while everybody's out here just kind of, all the sheep are out here, you know, just sitting, uh, you know, calmly in the grass. No. He had real danger that he encountered. So don't get this picture of a, of a shepherd as someone who's wimpy and weak and they couldn't do anything else. It was hard work. It was laborious. It was tedious because it was something that you had to do day after day, night after night, week after week. And now the picture in the New Testament, as we look at the Lord as the shepherd in the Old Testament, the picture is, is Jesus is the shepherd. First, we see in John chapter 10, verse number 11, that Jesus is the good shepherd. Notice what he says in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Then notice down just a couple of verses later in John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. And notice what he says. And I know my sheep... And not only does he know his sheep, but am known by my own. Jesus is the one who gave his life. We just talked about that. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the picture of the shepherd who gave his life, who laid down his life to protect the flock. And then notice what it says in verse number 14, that he knows his sheep. The Lord knows you completely. The Lord knows you personally. The Lord knows you infinitely more than you even know your own self. And because of that, he can lead you skillfully. He can speak to you at the point of need where no one else even knows or understands. He's the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is the one who's going to to say, I will protect you. I will offer you salvation. I will provide you with hope. Not only is he the good shepherd, but we also find in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 20 and 21, that he is the great shepherd. Take your Bibles and now slide back toward the back now to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Or you can just listen, verse number 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Now notice what he says. That great shepherd of the sheep, Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Jesus is called the great shepherd here. But then, what does the great shepherd do? May he make you complete in every good work to do his will. See, when we picture the good shepherd, Jesus dying for the sheep and knowing his sheep, now as the great shepherd, we get the picture of this ongoing relationship of him leading his sheep, guiding his sheep, directing his sheep, walking with his sheep. He says, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. God is, through Jesus, is working in you. Here's the picture. 
The shepherd is working in you. Can I tell you, if the shepherd's not working in you, you need to check and make sure that you have a shepherd. That you're not relying on self, but you're trusting a savior in order for you to get to heaven. He's working in you. Why? So that we can be complete in doing God's will. Let me just say it. Jesus will discipline his sheep. And if we don't experience discipline through times when we begin to stray, we don't experience that that, that moving of the Holy Spirit in our life, then we have to look in our own heart and say, is Jesus there? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, Holy Spirit, pushing us toward holiness. Jesus is the good shepherd. He gave his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd leading and working in us so that we'll be complete in God's will. But if you're in the book of Hebrews, look over, not skip over the book of James, but then go to the book of 1 Peter and chapter 5. Because Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 2, he tells these other pastors, he says, look, you need to shepherd the flock of God. Peter is talking as as one who is an elder, a shepherd himself. And he tells them to shepherd the flock of God. Why is that so important? He says, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock, because this is what he says. This is why, shepherds, I want you to, to lead the flock well. And he's talking to pastors here. Because 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Don't you love these pictures of Jesus as shepherd in the New Testament? John chapter 10, he's the one who gives his life for the sheep. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, he's the one who's working in us, guiding and moving so that we'll be complete in God's will. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 4, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, here he is Jesus who is coming for his sheep. He did something in the past, he's working in the present. But listen, we have hope, we're going to see that shepherd one day. The chief shepherd is coming. That's the picture. The Lord Jesus is the head of the church. He's sovereign over the church. He's the savior of the church. He's the shepherd of the church. And he's calling us, if we're not in his flock, that we need to make that decision today. And for those of us who know that we've trusted Jesus, he's saying, look, I'm working in you. Follow me and be ready when the chief shepherd comes. Ray Miller was 28 years old when her life got reflective. She began to think about her growing up years. She began to think about what her life was like growing up. 
Her mom went to church. Her dad was an alcoholic and disinterested in church. Didn't want to have anything to do with religion. And her mom and some ladies began to pray. That family began to pray. And gloriously, her dad came to know Jesus as his Savior. And as her dad grew older, she said, I, I would hear the words of his testimony through my, through my life and in, into those early 20s. And he would say, you know, man, I, I'd rather have Jesus than, than anything, than, than silver or gold. And she penned those words, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. And I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords to give. I don't know about you, There's going to come a day when the only thing that is going to matter in your life is what did you do with Jesus? And that day needs to be today, right now, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Today is the day. Is he your shepherd? Is he your Savior? With that, let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, you would move, God, that you would speak. Lord Jesus, that in the power of the Holy Spirit, that like a gentle shepherd, you would call those that are not in your flock to come and receive forgiveness and salvation. And Lord, for those that that have trusted you and somewhere along the, the line, somewhere in the way, they've just gotten off course. And God, today needs to be that new day. I pray today that you'd grant them repentance. Lord, that your kindness would lead to repentance today. In the powerful name of our Savior and Shepherd, we pray. Amen.